up until a few years ago, and it wasn't really that long, it was accepted wisdom that democracy and freedom of expression go hand in hand. And when you think about it, it would seem to be obvious. If you're going to trust people to vote, then they have to have all the information in order to vote. If you start censoring information, then you're manipulating what people hear and therefore manipulating their vote. The vote really becomes like one of these votes they have in Soviet Russia or in North Korea. But somehow, like a lot of other things in the last few years, it's all got turned upside down. And the mainstream press will tell you that democracy and censorship go hand in hand, that in order to have a stable democracy, you have to suppress and censor extreme views. Now, what they call extreme views are sort of racist views and so on, but also anti-vaccination views and things like this. Now, what's interesting about this is the people who support that, and it seems to be commonly accepted, do they think that they have to be protected from this information? Because if they think they have to be protected from the information, let's say this is anti-vax information, what they're saying is, oh, this information is so overpowering, scientifically and factually, that I might be influenced. Now, I don't believe that anybody really thinks that. I think that were you to push them, and of course one of the things about these kind of views is people don't think them through, they just blindly follow the consensus. But if you were to push people who believe this, they would say, oh no, it's not me that has to be protected, it's other people who are presumably less intelligent than I am, less intelligent than they are. Now, these people, of course, um, they're going to get their information anyway. But when Elon Musk bought Twitter and announced that he was going to basically stop any kind of censorship. I saw many people saying this is disgusting and, and so on and they were going to abandon Twitter. Now, if they think that this censorship wasn't aimed at them, but was aimed at other people, why are they abandoning Twitter? Do they think, they actually know they might mysteriously get uh, contaminated by all this information? Or maybe, I think, if they were pressed, they would probably say, oh, no, well, we don't want to support an organisation like that. It's a kind of, you know, we've got, to, we've got to support, you know, the people who agree with us. Now, we're not dealing with people who think um, in a rational way. And, I, and I've got to say that. I've got to say that anybody who thinks that censorship and democracy go hand in hand is not a rational thinker. And like most people who don't think rationally but think they do, they use rationality to justify an opinion that they've made emotionally. And this is a common characteristic. Now this is worthy of a whole probably series of um, podcast in itself and I think probably if you go back I have alluded to this point there was um, 
a very interesting experiment done, and I think I've talked about this before, where they, this was done quite a few years ago, and they got a number of guys and they gave them uh, photographs of, showed them photographs of women, and they asked these guys to evaluate these women's appearance from one to ten. This wouldn't be politically correct nowadays, but this was a different time. And um, they noted down each of the responses, and then they, you know, the people went off and had a cup of tea, and then the people conducting the experiment came back afterwards to these people. And they said, look, we just want to go through some of the answers you gave. You know, this woman here, you said she was a, a seven. Why did you say she was a seven? And this one here, you said she was a three. Why did you say she was a three? And so on. And in most cases, and I think the, the, they generally find about 60 to 70 percent in this consistent in these kind of experiments, would say... Oh, yeah, well, I gave her a seven for this reason, or gave her a three for that reason, or so on. But the thing is, they were being told something that wasn't true. The woman that they thought they'd given a six to, they actually gave a two to, and the one that they were told they gave a three to, they actually gave an eight to, and so on. So when they came back, they weren't telling the truth. They were justifying what they thought was their opinion. And this is how people work. They make an opinion on an emotional level and then they try and justify it. We see this all the time. It's worth noting, of course, that in places like China, the censorship is government-sanctioned, uh, government-orchestrated, and there are certain criteria that they want to avoid, certain opinions that they want to avoid people having, so they manipulate the... Um, what they can read accordingly. In the West, it's not government orchestrated. It's um, large profit-making companies who are censoring, not according to any criteria that's been laid down that people can examine, uh, but according to quite arbitrary, sometimes, uh, measures um, as I've said before, I was removed from media, which is an online magazine, simply for reporting statistical facts about COVID. Um, and, and this happens frequently. You know, climate, uh, anybody who goes against the view that we are heading for some kind of global catastrophe through uh, over... Uh, abundance of carbon dioxide and this prevailing view um, which is touted to be a scientific view or held by the majority of science it in fact isn't what the majority of climate scientists um, at least if you go back a few years certainly didn't hold that opinion it was held by opinion by people who weren't um, climate scientists at all, you know, biologists or physicists or whatever, that people say nothing, they don't know, know nothing really about climate. Uh, but of course now all the, um, uh, the schools within universities that deal with climate have now been um, set up by people who hold this opinion. And I, I've said this before about universities, the, the um, way you become a professor or an academic at a university is by passing exams and these exams were set by the people who preceded you 
And if you held an opinion that was substantially different to the opinion they had, they simply wouldn't allow you to pass those exams. And so a prevailing view is, um, is, is set up within a university and then, and then um, that view is continued. Um, and this is true of Darwinism, again, something else which I talked about and probably deserves another podcast, which is when you think about it rationally, a completely ridiculous view that doesn't hold any 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 doesn't hold water. Its view of cli- it's true of climate change. It's uh, true of the anti-vax thing and so on. These are prevailing opinions, and people don't think them through rationally. They're not scientific. They're done under the guise of science, and that scientists support it. Um, Science, real science, is not just a view held by scientists. And it's worth having a look at something called the philosophy of science. Now, I've spoken to many people who have these you know, prevailing views of science, and when I ask them about the philosophy of science, they, uh, they just dismiss it. Uh, Einstein said that you couldn't do science without understanding the philosophy of science, um, other scientists have, have just dismissed it out of hand. I think one of the well-known phrases was that a science doesn't need to understand the philosophy of, of, of science any more than a bird needs to understand the philosophy of flying. Um, it's, it's incorrect and it's a bad analogy because a bird can fly or it doesn't fly. A science can purport and pretend to be doing science but can actually be doing it as complete nonsense. Um, under the guise of science. So that's why the scientist has to understand the philosophy of science. Just because you wear a white coat and have a stethoscope doesn't make you a scientist. Just because you purport to be doing scientific experiments and getting certain results doesn't mean you're doing science or not good science anyway. So without understanding the philosophy of science, you're just wasting your time and just basically spreading misinformation under the guise of science. And of course, what we see nowadays is what we might call scientificism. It's science as a religion, as a belief system. We have to believe what the high priests of science tell us because they are the educated people who know best. Um, it's no different from how people used to um, view religion. Um, in the old days, before the um, advent of, of printing, Bibles were printed in Latin, or Bibles were available in Latin, they weren't printed, but they were available in Latin only. And the clergy who knew Latin were therefore the interpreters of the Bible. The people, common people couldn't be trusted with the Bible. They had to be interpreted by the high priests. Um, and it's of course that's really their own form of censorship. It's like we do nowadays with scientists, scientificism. It's a similar process. There's a language that science uses and that doctors use, you know, which is based on Latin, ironically. Um, and we're not privy to that, most people. It makes them exclusive. Lawyers are the same. So what we have is a series of dogmas, which don't stack up to scientific evaluation and therefore have to be censored so that people aren't able to question them. This keeps the scientificism, this view, you know, this, this world view 
intact, lots have been christened. There's, there's a number of these things, what a few we've alluded to, you know, the anti-vax, Darwinianism, which probably goes back to the 1960s and is one of the oldest of these, the climate change, you know, which when you look at it is nonsense, um, the idea that we're all overheating, the, pro the prophecies that these pundits made 10 years ago about climate, none of them, none of them have come through to fruition. None of the prophecies about um, sea level rise has come true. You know, we should all be drowning, you know, if we're just living a few feet above sea level. And of course, it's just not happening. Um, none of it's happening. Um, if uh, an astrologer got a hit rate that these um, climate so-called scientists had, they would be they would be ridiculed. You know, astrologers get a better hit than these people do. Atheists push the dogma of Darwinianism, you know, random selection, because this is their get-out clause. You know, how is it that we all came about with the complexity and the... And I say perfection, uh, and of course I say that with, you know, in, with an understanding of the apparent uh, imperfections of human beings um, that we were we, we were created with without you know presumably so the atheists would say without God so they've come up with this ridiculous notion which you know what's ironic is that when you listen to atheists talk about this they don't even believe it themselves you know Christopher Hitchens you know is you know I, I think of atheism as a kind of idiots group and you know Hitchens and um, uh, these other people are like the chief idiots because they put forward the same crap but they do it more articulately and in one of his talks he talks about human beings that have been around for sort of 180,000 or 200,000 years and he says that without any caveats which of course goes totally against the idea of uh, Darwinianism which says it should have taken millions of years to evolve into to humans. Uh, this is worthy of a podcast in itself because the idea is that's so ridiculous. But you won't get any atheists to talk about it. I've tried. You won't get them to, to actually talk about any of the, the complexities of this. They would just say, oh, you know, go and visit the website. The websites, they were just nonsense as well. There is a push by some atheists in America, I've read, where they want atheism recognised as a religion, you know, so they get tax breaks and things like this. The irony is, is that in America, of course, they have this, what they call this separation of church and state, where they would, well, uh, Darwinianism is basically, basically an atheist dogma, so if you're going to give atheists an, as a religion, then they can't teach their crap in schools. Yeah, good on them. Let's, let's stop teaching this nonsense and let kids understand for themselves how human beings came about and let them apply some common sense to it. One of the things I've found overwhelmingly, and this is a really modern, recent thing, because you know, I've been in debates with atheists for probably about 10 or 15 years over the net. I'm an old-timer. Is this complete refusal of atheists to even look at anything that might contradict their opinions? Um, it's not just atheists, but I've seen this in other areas. You know, people talking about, you know, vaccinations and supporting vaccinations. And when you say, well, look at this evidence, they, they won't say, well, I've seen it and I don't agree with it. And you can have a discussion. It's like, no, I refuse to look at that because it's just propaganda. Which gets me back, of course, full circle to where we originally started. 
Why are they afraid to look at this information? They run from Twitter because Twitter's not going to censor this information. What are they afraid of? And this is a question worth asking. Um, people build up this world, this simplistic worldview, and they don't need to think about it. They don't need to question it. They can just go along dogmatically with blinkers and just refuse to look at anything that doesn't doesn't agree with agree with them. And there is this idea of, of being in a crowd. I talked last week about um, Jordan Peterson's view of the zebra is uh, you know where you don't want to stick out from the crowd and that's probably more true nowadays than it ever was I would argue and I think I may have even brought this up in a podcast that vaccines affect people they affect people physically they also affect people's cognitive ability because they was blood clots and uh, these blood clots shut down tiny capillaries and the main effect of that is to cut down blood flow to the brain which reduces cognitive ability and so more and more people retreat into views that they don't need to think about it's like if you um, cut down people's ability to perform physical work they will avoid physical work um, and people do in the West um, so if you cut down people's ability to think they will avoid doing things that they have to think about so they become more compliant and go along with some nonsense simply because it's accepted nonsense and they can go along with it with apparent impunity because um, the people who have the hard time are the people who go against the, the mainstream. It's much easier to stay compliant. And one of the huge questions this raises is not so much about the adults who are, you know, been sucked into this, but the effect it's having on our children who are now being indoctrinated from an early age with, with crap. They are not given the ability to think. They're given the vaccinations uh, which from an early age shut down the development of the brain. Um, the mask wearing has been proved to cut down cognitive ability. The IQs are considerably lower from the kids that were, you know, around uh, when people were wearing masks. This has been documented. Um, what they learn at schools is just nonsense upon nonsense. Now, it's my view that society as we know it and this nice easy existence that most of us have had, at least in the West, is going to come crashing down. We can see the beginnings of it now. And these kids who have been so let down by the generation that preceded them are going to have a very tough time. I think the death rates are going to be enormous. And those who survive are going to have to really readjust their ways of thinking. 
uh, one of the sad parts about all this, I think, is that what gets knocked out of people, particularly the vaccine, is this right brain awareness, which is that relationship with your conscience and your relationship with the divine. And of course, when that breaks down, um, there becomes a hardness, uh, no compassion, a dog-eat-dog world, and that's a very vicious world for people to get sucked into. Um, and that's the world that these kids are going to grow up with. But if you imagine a 15-year-old kid, and let's imagine that even in these half-circumstances, you know, most a lot of them will die off, but some of them are going to survive till maybe 45, 50 or even older. Well, that's another 30 or 40 years they've got. That's a lot of time to be... Um, to reassess your standards. And in fact, that reassessing of standards can actually come very quickly if um, the nice, you know, world they're in starts to fall apart and they go hungry. Um, their morality will change very quickly. Um, if troops come and invade, as they will in certain countries, the incoming troops, you know, they use rape as a, as a, as a method of subjugating the population. Well, that changes your nice, cosy views about morality and rape or something because you're exposed to this harshness all the time. for listening you can email me phil at graham.net you can look at my website philip with one l dot graham.net graham is b-r-a-h-a-m and if you send an email put podcast in the subject so it doesn't get lost I'm not going to be able to do that.